Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Ryan again. Hey, Ryan. Hi. Hello. <laughs> and we'd already started meandering our way through a topic and then Ryan said, maybe we better press record. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's do that because we have some good conversations. So welcome and thanks for being here again. Oh, no, absolutely no problem at all. I, I like our chats. So do I. Mm. <laughs> so you had I actually wrote down some topics for today but you came up with a good one as well yes thank you I did because I re-listened to some of the older episodes and as fun as they are uh, I realized in the introduction you say that this is you know about marriage menopause and, and motherhood and I thought to myself I don't think we really touch on any of those topics in most of our discussions, we just talk about, you know, morality of the individual and, you know, how to live in a social society and the basics of psychology and things like that. So I thought, you know, I've, I've got a fun topic that's about philosophy and also about motherhood. So I thought we could we could discuss that. And it really is based on how you raise kids in a way that kind of preserves who you are as a person, uh, because it's something that I've I've certainly noticed about yourself and, and dad and I've, I'm starting to notice in my friends now as well because they're starting to to think about having kids or starting to having kids so basically it centers around this right and please be, don't be offended mothers people who listen to this but psychologically speaking until the age of about 14 15 uh, children are, are basically animals right we're, we're all aware of this we joke quite a lot about it but I'm talking like you know psychologically speaking here they're actually animals they have about you know a dog is, is roughly equivalent to a four or five year old and if we can say that you know what's a dolphin a seven or eight year old you know what's what's a crow like a nine-year-old which is they're, they're basically they're animals by the time they reach 15 or 16 they are psychologically speaking almost identical to adults except you know they have a metric ton of testosterone and estrogen running through their systems which is not pleasant for anyone and it's totally understandable why they become you know angsty teenagers but you know they have all the faculties there to be real people they just haven't actually lived at all which is why we don't really trust their judgment until they reach the age of about 25 but in any case before that they don't know how to do anything and they don't know they don't know how to do anything. And they want to be like adults. And so we are forced to treat children who are basically animals as tiny people when they're really not. They're not tiny people. They're, they're people in waiting. They're, they're waiting to be people. They're people in the queue who are waiting to go to the front desk and have their things stamped and waiting to become real people. And so mothers, I think, and fathers as well, but this is about motherhood. So mothers are forced to be what we could call an, an NPC, a non-playable character, which means in, in the lingo of, of games, uh, someone who isn't really a person because you become the voice that supplements all the parts of the personality of the child that they don't have. You're the voice that says, that's a bad idea. Do the washing up. You need to tidy your room. It's no wonder you can't find anything. I can't see the floor. What are you doing? And I think in doing that, it removes who you are as a person because you can't share a joke with a four-year-old. Not really. You know, you can't talk about what you're worried about with a seven-year-old. You know, how could you talk about what it's like for you in the workplace or how all the dynamics of your, your social circle with someone who is barely aware of themselves, let alone other people? And so my question is, and this is a really long lead up to what the question is, is how did you, having gone through four children who all responded very differently to growing up and to you being their voice, how did you try to preserve your personality whilst also being a mother? Do you think it, you did it well? And if you had the opportunity to do it all again from the very beginning, what would you change? Three <laughs> questions. That's my question. There were so many things in that. I've never actually looked at it from this perspective before, but it's actually 
It actually describes it really well because any or most mothers going through parenthood will say, well, they'll want to find themselves at the end because you kind of lost who you are. You do have to take on, you become mum. So you become known as Jamie's mum or Ryan's mum. And you're not a person in and of yourself. And I've never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, you're an NPC. You are definitely an NPC when you're Mm -hmm. you're being a mum. With regards to how did I keep my personality, I don't think I did a particularly good job of it at all. And it's only now, I'm saying several years after leaving motherhood, I keep forgetting your youngest sister, who is still only 18, and who has basically dragged herself up because I was over it by the time she got to about 10. Bless her cotton socks. And and then again, maybe I'm being hard on myself because there's a familiarity to what I'm doing. I've already done this four times, three times before Keely. So there's a lot less effort needs to go into it because I'm I'm, um, a bit more educated, skilled, skilled Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. How did I do it with the four of you? How, How was it different with the four of you? Completely different. There, yeah, there were some of you who were newborn puppies until you reached about 21. (laughs) Never grew out of that. You just didn't. And I felt like I could, I may as well have been talking to that tree outside the window most of the time. Others of you, I could communicate with a bit more. And it's really interesting because I've been critical of, two things one is when people patronize children don't patronize a child don't talk to them like they don't know what they're doing they know what Mm. they're doing they're just really inexperienced so they are people and and it kind of leads into the same thing they are people who deserve to be treated as people however you also (laughs) have to respect the fact that they know nothing They have no experience and they might think something is a really good idea and that's because they don't understand it and they can't see the consequences and the outcome of what they're doing. An interesting case in in point for that is what you were trying to say about talking to them and you you can't explain something, the nuances of a social situation to a seven-year-old. I spend six hours at a time with Keely in the car going to and from school. We have some conversations and sometimes I'll start talking to her because she's getting older. She's 18 now as a friend, sort of more building the relationship. The dynamics are changing a little. And it's really interesting how I can't, I'll say, oh, you know, I can't see how to do this. And she'll go, mum, it's really simple. You just ignore that. You do this and just don't worry about that. And it's like, kind of don't quite understand that darling (laughs) so it's really interesting so there's and and that is the same thing that don't patronize children but also don't expect that they understand what they're doing and don't treat them like an adult Mm. and it's really difficult to tread that fine line of being respectful of children without Mm. expecting too much yeah you had a friend only child whose mm-hmm. parents treated him like a grown-up. And my heart went out to him because you were about seven or eight and we used to go to all these parties. Everybody, he was one of the kids. He didn't know how to interact with the other children. He only knew how to interact with adults. He, You know, you'd all pick up like one friend, you'd... She brought him up. She brought her son up and he'd never watched any anything violent on television. Um, and she said, but he picks up a stick and he turns into Rambo. But this other child, and you'd all be like Jedi fighting with the sticks. I'd get you connector pens because I wanted to encourage your artistic <laughs> um, abilities and you'd make guns out of them. You'd turn connector pens into guns and you'd be mm. running around the street with these Connect a pen. Thing, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so there's the two sides of it there. Where, where does that 
because the uh, you got there's a lot of depth to what you asked me. Yeah. What so, were you writing down on your whiteboard then? I saw oh, Brian's got a whiteboard with him today. I, I do actually pro tip for anyone listening. What I've actually done is I've covered my coffee table with a, 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 a white laminated sheet so that I can write any ideas that I have down on it, which I have to say as, as a creative person is really, really useful. So actually that's not my whiteboard. My whiteboard is here so I can I can write whatever I want. I've always got more writing space. Whereas <laughs> me, I like to keep looking at the camera so you'll occasionally see me my shoulder will be moving because I'm tapping my finger to remind myself of the question that's just come up. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. <laughs> I'm terrible at that. I, I, I get too focused on the next topic. Um, speaking of, you're right. Philosophically speaking, children do remember, if not most of what happens in childhood, then at least a lot of it. And a lot of the more drastic les- lessons, even if they aren't recorded as memories, will be remembered in a different way. So we do have the responsibility of treating kids like the adults they're going to be. But it's just psychologically, they're not all there. We can't expect them. It's like what you're saying. We can't expect them to be adults, but we do have to treat them as adults to be. Yes, (laughs) as people. I mean, that just as a a side topic leads me to, to something that I've been thinking about a lot recently about how we treat other people. You know, when you pass a dog in the street, for instance, I don't know about you, but I go, dog, I love you. Hello, friend. Come and give me a hug. Dogs are fantastic. And we love dogs and they're very, very friendly. We do not do the same for other people. Despite the fact, and I will put this out there, I think most people, if you greeted them with that much enthusiasm, they would respond in the same way as a dog. Like if you were walking along the street and someone said, you're looking wonderful today. I'm so happy to see you. You'd be like, oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, let's have a chat for a little while. <laughs> so we don't, tr- firstly, we don't treat people as people, really. We, we treat people as possible threats, I think, is, is an important thing. And we treat kids as potential possible threats. It's something I was talking to, uh, to Keely about, actually, not long ago. My youngest sister, she's 18 now, which is why I thought this would be a good topic of conversation, by the by, because now... She's finished her exams at school, which is, you know, traditionally speaking, like one of the first steps to adulthood, I would say. Adults, when someone's in year 12, will continually ask the question, what do you want to do when you finish school? I know. Right? (laughs) Which I hated. Because first of all, if I asked another adult, hey, what's your five-year plan? How do you think they'd react to that? Not well. Not well, guys. No one knows what their five-year plan is. And if you do, sorry to put it out there, I think you're a bit of a sociopath. (laughs) Looking at the last two years, none of us know what's going to happen in five years' time. Just going to put that one out there. So, but people keep asking kids in year 12 what they want to do after school because they don't know what to talk about with kids because they treat them as different to adults. You know, if you go up to an adult and you want to talk to them at a party, like personal awkwardness aside, you're not going to say, what's your five-year plan? If you want a really good topic of conversation, you could be like, what do you think happens after we die? Do you believe that God is real? And if so, what form does it take? What are your political leanings? Those are all really interesting topics of conversation, controversial, possibly, but interesting. But we don't bother asking kids those things. Um, Although, let's be honest, if you asked a seven-year-old any of those questions, I'm pretty sure they'd have an answer for you. Might not be a good one, but they've got an answer for you. But no one bothers because they don't treat them like kids. And I think that's, that's what you're talking about. It's the balance between expecting them to be adults and treating them like people. Yeah, there's a, there's a like I'm going back to when you were seven now or a little bit younger than that. And you and Jamie... There was two boys who lived next door to us, exactly the same age as you two, and then another two boys from further down the street, exactly the same age as you four. And it got quite interesting a lot of the time, especially during the summer holidays. Mm. And my perspective on the whole thing was you'd all walk in the door and I'd lay down the rules to whoever walked through the door, boys, stop, listen to me. These are the rules. 
So that was, to me, clearly communicating expectations for behaviour and also consequences for not towing the line. But then it's handing it over to you lot and saying, okay, that's those are the rules. I now expect you to abide by those rules. And there will be consequences if you don't. And it was interesting which ones of you actually stepped up to the plate and took responsibility and which ones of you were entirely incapable of taking any responsibility. Yeah. There's that because you are people, you're just not experienced. So as an adult, I saw it as my responsibility to explain to you, explain things to you. The, the rights and wrongs of the situation, the facts of the situation, the possible outcomes, the why it was acceptable behaviour or not acceptable behaviour. Think your way through something. That was all my thing. My I saw my job as educating you all to think for yourselves and think your way through what it took to be responsible. And my basic thing was, would you like that done to yourself? Mm-hmm. That was basically it. How would you feel if somebody did that to you? Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's I, I think, a pretty good rule of thumb. It, just, it brings me back to the first of the three questions. Uh, actually, no, the second of the three questions. Do you think that you balanced being the NPCs, your kids, and being a person? No. In, well. Um, and how would you change it? I don't know that I could change it because if I do something, I go into it fully, 100% fully. And I couldn't, it required me to put to one side, there were four of you. It was more than a full-time job. Mm. So it required me to just put to one side everything that I wanted to do, really, because I didn't have enough energy to give to each of you what you required and still have time left to do things and create a life for myself. I managed to have a bit of spare time to myself. You know, we had the horses and I'd go to the gym and do all those kind of things. But in terms of creating a life like I'm doing now, doing the podcasting and the blogging and building a business, there was no time to do that unless I got somebody in to do a lot of the things that I was doing with you. And then when I did, I found that I couldn't separate those two. I couldn't go into work and be a businesswoman and and run the office and do all that kind of thing and then drop all that and be mum and do all the the running around, the arguing, the can you clean your teeth? No, can you actually go and clean your teeth? No, I'm serious now, go and clean your teeth. You did not clean your teeth. Please use toothpaste. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> it's amazing the efforts that kids and, and people in general, honestly, will go to to avoid doing something, often using more energy to avoid doing it than it would cost to do it. <laughs> yeah. Just do it in the first place, guys. <laughs> and, and then the bedtime routine. Yeah, and Kira, I gave poor Kira a defining moment because... Keely used to come out of her bedroom oh, a good six, eight times every night after we'd put her to bed and said goodnight and done all that. I need a drink. I'm still a bit hungry. I need to go to the toilet. I need this teddy bear. Yeah, all of those things. Finally get them in bed and she'd still get up another six or eight times. And this one particular night I heard the door open to the bedroom <laughs> area. I went, go back to bed. And it was Kira and not Keely. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, darling. So sorry. <laughs> uh, just to give you some context and for the listener as well, uh, real talk here. This is one of the reasons, one of the several reasons that I personally don't want to have kids. Not because I don't think that you did a good job, but because I think you did do a pretty good job considering there were four of us and you had to manage that and be a person on your own. But I saw what it cost. I saw what it would take to raise kids in a way that is, you know, as moral as you can do it, I think. I mean, there are, there are 
things that I would try to do differently. But I think that's just down to our, our differences in personality. But it would require totally giving up who I am as a person, like totally, to an absolute extent. I would no longer be an individual. I wouldn't be able to pursue anything that I wanted to pursue because I would become an ancillary to whoever I wanted to bring in the world. And let's be honest, if I wanted to raise kids, I'd want to do it well. I'm not going to half-ass this. And so that's why I personally don't want to do it. If I want to do it well, I have to do it 100%, like you were saying. You have to do it 100%. You've got to commit to it. And it would cost so much in terms of being a person that I, I don't want to give up being an individual. I like kids. I work with kids. Kids are fine. But you're taking on an awful lot of responsibility. I think a lot of responsibility, a lot more responsibility than, than a lot of people think. You know, they think of them as being. I mean, they are the level of animals for a lot of it, but they can treat them like animals. You know, you can put them in a corner and leave them on their own. You know, they'll, they'll figure it out on their own. Whereas, you know, I, I would do you do think it. it's a personality thing as well? I think there's a few ladies that we knew from when you were at school who were just born to be mothers. They were just <laughs> earth mothers. Yeah. Everything was, they, it was just the job they were suited to. It's not a job I was suited to. It's not a job mm. that comes naturally to me. Yeah. I'd never held a baby till I had Jamie. No, I haven't. Yeah, and had no inclination to hold a baby. My friends have babies. <laughs> I'm just like, that's fine. You keep it over there. And I'm still a bit like that now. Like, mm. if people have babies, I'll go, oh, yeah, it's cute, and I'll hold them and everything. But really, I'm just going through. I'm playing a role because I'm really not that interested. <laughs> I'm just not. Yeah. For me, it was an either or. Um, that is perhaps where I went wrong. Either I could give it all, give it my all, and be 100% the best mum I could be, or I could have a life of my own. But I, in my world, I couldn't have the two. And if I'd had two of you, would that have been different? Definitely. Definitely. And because you were spaced out as well. You know, if I'd had, yeah. if because Jamie was... 94 to that. So he was nine when I had Keeley. So it was spaced out over a long period, which also doesn't help. Yeah. It's not those two things, not something that comes naturally to me. And I have to give, I have to go all in or nothing. I couldn't half do it. Mm. And give you all the attention that you all required as well. Because that yeah. was the other thing. Even now, some days I will spend five or six hours on the phone to the four of you and your dad. <laughs> Doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else. No. <laughs> and I'm glad I, I don't resent that. I don't regret it. Um, and it was my decision to have four children. It's something that I've committed to mm. 20 odd years ago. That's it. Just got to live with it. 20. Seven years ago now. Mm. <laughs> I was recently married. Uh, it was great. It has changed very I little about I wouldn't know anything about the wedding because I wasn't there. I, I blame COVID for that personally. We did have we did have plans for a nice big, everyone come down, you know, we'll, we'll do it. And then COVID got in the way and we cancelled another two times. And then on the fourth attempt, we managed it. But um, anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about other things. Uh, one of the things being that now that I'm married, one of the fun little topics of conversation that comes up is, so when are you going to have kids? Which I resent hugely. I don't know if you can tell. I hate that. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's a requirement. I mean, I personally feel no inclination to have kids morally or, you know, I have three siblings. I don't feel any need to carry on the family line or anything. They're all going to have kids. It's going to be fine. So... It's just, it's something I've been thinking about. People require an answer as to why I don't want kids. It's just saying no isn't, isn't really enough. And I, I agree. I, I like kids, but I don't think I'm suited to being a parent. I live a very particular life. You know, my house is filled with the things that I make. I'm an actor. I, I work on an uneven schedule and I like to stay busy. You're aware of this. The amount of time that it takes to communicate with my family every week is just, it's too much. I occasionally forget and just miss out because I'm doing other things. Adding kids into that is 
unthinkable. Even one, I, I don't think I could do it. Whereas some people are, you're right, are very suited to it. I have a friend who um, has been trying to have kids for absolute ages, and she is just mother-shaped, inside and out. She's just shaped like a mum. You go around to her house and she's like, oh, are you eating right? Do you need anything? Can I get you a cup of tea? And I'll be like, no, that's fine. And she's like, how are you going? Tell me all about your day. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Whereas, you know, when people come to my house, I'm like, all right, sit down, have a cup of tea. I want to talk to you about what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an intriguing topic for me to talk to you now. As we were saying, as, as, as you know, more on a friend level than on a parental level about how you think you did. And I hear what you're saying about being a specific personality type, you know, that one that isn't necessarily suited to, to, to raising kids. Although I have to say, I think you did a pretty good job considering how many of us you tried to balance and how many benefits you tried to give us as well. You wanted each of us to pursue our own hobbies. You know, you wanted to give each of us a good education. You wanted all of us to do some traveling, to make friends, to, you know, enjoy ourselves on, on birthdays and, and have individual time as well as family time, all of which is huge. That's huge. That's massive. And leaves very little in the way of time to actually be like, you know, I want to do this. <laughs> it's funny because your dad used, one of your dad's refrains from, from the whole time that you all were growing up was you need to just Dress less, you know, just go with the flow. Just, you know, see how your day pans out. I'm like, we got four kids at private school. There is no going with the flow. <laughs> no. I can only imagine. But I think that kind of calendar would be fine to manage if, again, if they were all adults, which is to say if they were not only people but also capable of being relied upon to be responsible for themselves. Um, which is an unreasonable expectation of anyone under the age of about 15, 16. And even then, it's like, you know, you're still going to make bad decisions. You're capable of making decisions, but they're going to be bad decisions. And just that, the little edges of responsibility, like you can't make an appointment and you know you can't make an appointment two weeks out, so change the appointment. Don't <laughs> wait until you get the reminder the day before to change the appointment, change it early on. Yeah. <laughs> Those things. And all the, the, the time, when Kira had her concussion, one week I spent 27 hours in a week running her around to medical um, appointments and doing stuff with her for that. That was extreme. But it was always like one of you got, let's take chicken pox, one of you got chicken pox. At the tail end of the chicken pox, the next one would get it. And then the third one would wait until the second one had finished. So something that might have just been a 10-day thing turned into a six-week thing. That's the way it was. Yeah. And don't, let's not go to tummy bugs. That was the, the worst. Just the <laughs> worst. <laughs> it just, it's... Um... It's, it's something I'm trying to, to take a closer look at, you know, as an, as an adult now, because I have a perspective as a kid, but I'm aware that, that it's a kid's perspective. I only saw from a very particular perspective. And looking back, a lot of the things that I wished were different would have been different if I was one child of two, you know, rather than one child of four. <laughs> like because, what? What are we talking oh, about here? One of them, for instance, is I, I wanted to spend more time with dad. He was, he was busy a lot, a lot. I, and I, I don't remember spending very much quality time with him. And whenever we did, he was distracted and he had his phone with him. And was, <laughs> it was as much rest time for him as it was quality time with me. But I didn't want to rest. I wanted to spend time with my dad. But I know that he worked so much and so hard because he had four of us that he wanted to put through private school and, and fund. I mean, horse riding alone, good Lord, what an expensive hobby. That <laughs> costs way too much. It's like having a whole nother kid. And so I, I understand why he was busy. I do. I, I, as an adult, I get that. But I, I just wanted to spend more time with my dad. And I'm aware that as an adult, I couldn't have 
the benefits that I had and spending time with my dad. Uh, and you, you had the burden of making that decision for future right. You know, you asked yourselves, which is going to be better for him in the long run? And, and you said, look, a good education, experience in all these things, you know, being a, a, a swimmer and a horse rider and, and a triathlete and a philosophy champion and, and things like that. All those things are better. And it certainly massively influenced the person that I am today uh, for the better. I think I, I am very well educated and more than that, I know how to educate myself, which is absolutely the kind of talent you want to give to your kids. But, uh, but I do get a bit wistful about, you know, having a lemonade and a, a bowl of beer nuts with my dad in the national park tavern. I have a question for you. Here's a, it's a good one. So I want you to think about it. What question do you wish we had asked more? When we were kids. Are you kidding me? The last mm. thing I wanted was more questions. But, I mean, if, if you could rely on us to ask a question and then really, really think about your answer, what would you have asked us to do? It wasn't really a question. What mm. the big missing was you all taking ownership. So if I asked you, let's say, for example, to tidy your rooms up, for the most part, that consisted of you shoving everything under your bed or into drawers where I couldn't see it. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I never did that. I did that all the time, listener, all the time, constantly. It's, it's still a habit that I'm trying to kick. <laughs> or can you put the dishes away? That was another one. Oh, you know, empty the dishwasher for me. And the stuff would be all over the kitchen. Or can you put the shopping away? All of those little things that you all did spitefully and resentfully made my life really difficult. So it's not so much what question, it's that I put so much effort into trying to teach you how to take ownership and be responsible and you, you tried to evade it at every turn, all four of you. No one of you was better than the other. You all tried to evade it. So that was, it was really disheartening sometimes because none of you chose to take that on board until you were, and I could see glimpses that I knew you would, you just wouldn't do it with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't trust myself that, to speak. So I remember that going. time. <laughs> I remember the time, um, oh, you were quite little, you were probably about six or seven and there was a website for Santa and you sent in your name and your date of birth on this website and Santa <laughs> printed out a letter to you. And your letter, I remember reading your letter on the internet, you and Kira were stood there and the letter from Santa said something about there being empty chocolate wrappers under your bed and I saw your face just go white. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is for me quite a negative conversation. And it's not, I actually had a lot of fun. We're focusing here on the difficult parts of parenting. Yeah. Let's. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. What do you think you did well? What do you think you did that no one else could do? Boundaries. Mm. I know you're, you're, you're very proud of how well you set boundaries. And, and in, in fairness, listen, she did set great boundaries. All of my school friends were terrified is the wrong word. They had a healthy dose of the fear of God put into them, which is great because we were, you know, teenage boys uh, who have a, a very strong instinct. It's primal. It comes from the very deepest parts of the brain to cause as much chaos as is humanely possible. Humanly possible, I should say. Not humanely possible. Not at all. Inhumanely possible, if anything. We, we just, we delight in it. We delight in how much chaos we can cause. And we do it really, really well. I mean, Jamie got in trouble once at school because there was a really big fan it was the aircon unit for one of the old buildings. And he and his friends would, would stand in front of it 
and throw, you know, honky nuts, gum nuts at it just to see if it would bounce back and hit them. That's the kind of chaos we're talking about here. It's indescribable. But you set boundaries so well that, that they obeyed them, even if they weren't in your house, if you were nearby. Uh, they were reminded that they were people. Because mm. it, it's an awkward transition, I think. And it's, it's, it's where I think a lot of the expectations that are different between men and women hurt men as much as they do women because teenage boys for the longest time have just been like oh boys will be boys they can do what they want you can't stop it you can actually stop it gonna put that one out there because as they're making the transition from being kids and there being no real expectation of them listening and learning from you know being told off and being told what they need to do and being told what the boundaries are suddenly they have the capacity to be human beings and all of the ingenuity and deviousness and cunning that comes with that. And they still benefit from people being like, I don't think they're old enough to really get this. Whereas you were very clear. You were very clear. All right, idiots, listen up. <laughs> you know, she never called us idiots. But it was there. I heard it. I heard it in the, in the subtext. All right, idiots, listen up. Stop. Stop it. I swear, I swear to God, stop doing it. When you're in my house, you will face the wrath of God if you decide to run through the house with another one of those bloody Nerf guns, right? Sit down, listen, turn your brain on. That was a big one. We got that a lot. Switch your brain on. Because we, we never really bothered to. And generally, switch your brain on meant, you know, actually turn on the moral and ethical centers of the brain and not necessarily be more cunning with how to avoid punishment, which is generally how we took that note. That was a very meandering sentence. But, but I think, it, it, I think it, it, the boundaries were all about teaching you respect. Yes. That was what that was the biggest thing that I tried to get through to you all. Or two things is respect and getting into other people's world. See things from somebody else's point of view and then decide what you're going to do. Hmm. Yes, and I, I think you did, uh, did a pretty good job of that. I, I have seen some of my friends, teenage friends, who, who treated you with a lot of respect, I think, because of, of these lessons, speak to their own parents in a tone I would never dare use. <laughs> I would never dare speak to someone like that. Not even just you. I, I wouldn't speak to anyone like that, except occasionally my younger sisters, because they're just so annoying all the time um but even then i have since grown as a person i would like to know that as well but yeah i think i think you you were very clear on that you're very clear on boundaries and, and you did delight quite a bit in putting the fear of god into us as well you enjoyed that part of it <laughs> it has to be it's something to be said about instilling fear into teenage boys because they're not they're not afraid of much they don't have the, the mental capacity for it. We're not built to be afraid of things. We're, we're built to throw ourselves off buildings just to see how much it'll hurt. Um. Yeah, and I think, like, I'm thinking back to a particular incident where the boys from next door brought round their cousins, their teenage cousins, older boys, and I yeah. did the usual thing of these are the rules, please don't do that. And one of the boys insisted on doing bombies into the swimming pool when there was water going everywhere. And I asked him twice nicely. And he was about 14 or 15 at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, it's I old enough to him, start. Yeah. He, he should have known better. He was asked twicely, twicely nicely. Twicely. Twicely nicely. Twicely. And nice, then twicely. he got yelled at. And I remember him being so shocked. And he said to me, you can't talk to me like that. So do you want to bet? And what I remember really clearly is you two and the two boys from next door standing behind him grinning. <laughs> you were just gleeful. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like them very much, those cousins. I remember them very, very vaguely because it was, well, it must have been about seven, eight. Oh, um, no, you were younger than that, yeah. Mm, it was quite a, quite a long time ago. So I, I only remember them vaguely, but I remember I didn't like them much. 
No, no, <laughs> they weren't very nice. But it, it was, I always found it really interesting when you were in year 12 and you came home one day and you said the boys had all voted on mums who was, and I got voted scariest mum and best mum, which I mm. thought, ah, oh, isn't that interesting? Because yeah. I was convinced that the boys all hated me because they had to behave themselves when they were in my house or even if I saw them outside, they behaved. Mm. And But it was interesting how the response to that clear communication of these are the rules, these are the consequences, that the response to that was really interesting because they always tried to push the boundaries and then when they got the consequences, they went, oh, okay, yeah, get it. And then they played within the rules. Mm. That was really fascinating. And that was one of the reasons why I sent you both or you two chose to go to Guildford Grammar because Mm. the rules were really clear and the consequences were applied. Yeah. It's um, thinking back, I can't remember very many times. There are the occasional one where I didn't expect to be yelled at for something. And it was generally when, like, you had been given, like, ro- the wrong information or, you know, something had, had happened and you didn't have the full story or, or, or like you were saying about Kira, it, it was just the wrong child. Um, <laughs> and I think that, that made a, a big difference was that I know a lot of strict parents who are very strict without necessarily taking the child through right, these are the exact rules. If you follow the rules, we're gonna, everything's going to be A-OK. If you can explain why you broke the rules, that's also going to be fine. You just need to tell me why you broke the rules. Because uh, one, one of the clearest lessons I've got is why we have rules. And why we have rules is to make us think before we break them. It is illegal to drive over the speed limit. Will you get away with it if, you know, you've got someone in the back of the car and you're trying to get them? to the hospital probably uh it's illegal to kill someone is it illegal to kill someone who's threatening to kill someone else it's a little bit of a gray area and i think you were very clear about that as well if we ran near the pool which was you know a no-no because obviously you don't want your child to get a concussion and die if we ran near the pool without good reason just as just because we wanted to then we get yelled at but if we were running because something urgent was happening and we really needed to get there, you'd be like, okay, but next time, just tell me. And I think that was, that was important as well. You weren't strict without telling us if and why we were doing something wrong. I think that's, that's important. It's, it's about the expectation of them being human beings because yeah, they are human beings. They're not adults. You can't really expect them to, you know, take them, take you through the, the moral leanings of, of all of their decisions, you know. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they'll be like, ah, yes, I was doing this because you know how I'm filled with rage. This is a great outlet for them. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, um, I, I do think you did that well. And we knew what it meant to be a good mum, I think. kids. One of the biggest problems that kids have is they don't know how to communicate something. So something that came up really recently, for instance, I've never liked eggs. Oh, I mean, I did once a really, really long time ago. And, uh, and all of my siblings have since decided collectively that the reason that I don't like eggs is that I get more bacon instead of eggs. But I have been trying to ease myself into eating eggs and it makes me feel unwell. If I eat too many eggs, I, it, it upsets my tummy, my tum-tum, my big old tumblers. And um, when a seven-year-old tells you they don't like eggs, you say, why don't you like eggs? The only response is, I just don't like eggs. <laughs> you can't say, it, it makes me feel unwell in the stomach. I feel like, you know, it, it, not like I'm going to vomit, but it doesn't make me feel good. Because that's really specific and, and it's not something a child could communicate. But that's why I didn't like eggs. Because they made me feel unwell. They just, I, they don't like me and I don't really like them. End of story. <laughs> so, so a lot of it is the kids can't communicate a lot of their thinking. But I think we were all very aware of the requirements of being a mum, really a mum. You know, some parents are really nice. 
They're very tolerant. They're very sympathetic, uh, easily walked over, you know, very forgiving, which is great in a person when you're dealing with other people, other adults. You can be expected to, to be adults. But um, I, we were all clear on what it required to be a mother, and it meant knowing better. A mother has to know better than her kids. When we come up to you and we say, um, what we're going to do is we're going to fill all of these eggs with bicarb, uh, with vinegar and then put bicarb in them just to see what happens. You have to be the one to say, don't do that, <laughs> please. <laughs> do you have any idea how difficult it is to clean eggs off things? Because we don't have any idea how difficult it is to clean eggs off, egg off things. It doesn't, it doesn't occur to us. But, uh, you know, some mothers would just be like, that sounds like a fun experiment. You know, off you go onto the driveway where you can get all of the cars. <laughs> in fairness, I think you would have approved of that experiment as long as we did it like in the middle of the street, you know, in the cul-de-sac. I'm just going to point out this isn't a high street. There's no traffic here. <laughs> it's just a cul-de-sac. So you would have been like, yeah, go on, cover yourselves with eggs. This will be hilarious. I'm going to film it. <laughs> Especially because when you say things like that, we're like, hang on, she wants us to do this and she's going to film it. Something bad's going to happen. <laughs> we know enough to know that something bad's going to happen. Uh, so we can like rethink our decision as well. <laughs> I remember quite a few of our decisions were, were things like that where you'd be like, absolutely, you can. Let me get the camera. And we were like... Maybe I don't want to do this. <laughs> Maybe this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> I don't remember those. What had you done? What oh, you I don't. Uh, <laughs> there were four of us and we, one of us was below the age of 10 for the space of about 19 years. So I couldn't, I honestly could not point out to you which decision we made it was things like, why don't we see how well, big a shelter we can we can put up and then we'll waterproof it with, you know, something really, really sticky and then we'll get covered in sticky things. And because we made the shelter out of leaves, then we'll be covered in stickiness and leaves. So we'll do the, you know, the old tiring with the chicken feathers kind of thing. We had a lot of really bad ideas. We had a lot of ideas. Some of them were good. Most of them were bad. That's the point of ideas. <laughs> but um, but you were you were always very clear about sometimes about consequences. I think I really like consequences. I think they're very important. If we couldn't handle the consequences of our actions, you wouldn't let us do it. If we could, you'd set up a deck chair. <laughs> but I always warned you about the consequences. <laughs> if it I was think it not not if it was something like the eggs example, but most of the other times of it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd always say, are you sure? Are you okay. sure? Are you sure you want to do this? And we'd be like, yeah. And you'd be like, all right, let me go get my martini. We'll have a, we'll have a good time. I'll get a mimosa or something. In fairness, I don't think you ever drank a mimosa while doing this, but it's a very okay. big mood. <laughs> let me get my glass of sparkling, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we knew what the requirements for, for being a good mother was. And I think that was it. It was consequences. We are aware in some dim way as kids that consequences follow actions. There's something you talk about in, in psychology, actually, is that really little kids can only be relied upon to make a decision when it's a really kind of surface decision. Otherwise, it overloads them. There's actually three levels of decision-making. So kids can make surface decisions. You decide what kind of hat the child has to wear, right? And there are three colors. The child can decide between the colors. Sometimes it's too much for them. Sometimes kids cannot make that decision. If there was a decision between 50 colors, absolutely, a five-year-old cannot make that decision. They will just overload and have a tantrum because it's too much for them. When you get a little older, when you get to like preteens, you can be like, okay, you need this. You need a hat. You get to decide what style of hat you may have. And they can, you know, have a, have a, not a consequential, but a subsequent, uh, an original decision. So the first is a subsequent decision. You've made the decision to have a hat. The second is a, is, um, 
the primary decision, what kind of hat you want. And then the third, when they get to being, you know, an adult, is they can make a consequential decision. You get to decide whether or not you wear a hat. You have to deal with the consequences of not wearing a hat. <laughs> Congratulations. And I think you, you did that quite well for all of us. You know, a lot of the time we didn't have a lot of control when we were really young on what we would wear and what that would look like. Or if we did, it was the surface decisions. Then as we got older, you were always like, do you want to do this? Would you like to do this? Because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. For instance, the sunscreen thing. I hate sunscreen. Hate the feeling of it on my skin. Absolutely despise it uh, to this day. But um, that was an ongoing debate, right? If you put sunscreen on, yes, no, you haven't. How can you tell? Because you're not listening, Brian. <laughs> sunscreen makes you look different. But whereas now, as an adult, you know, as a teenager, you kind of was just like put sunscreen on. But we've got this nice, you know, sensitive skin one or this spray one. You get to choose which one, but you have to put sunscreen on. Now, as an adult, if I don't put sunscreen on, you're like, all right. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow morning, Mr. Tomato Man. <laughs> but you were always very clear on that. And, I, and we appreciated that, I think, because it gives us just enough of a decision that we feel free to be people insofar as we can be people. But not so much that we, we, we are overwhelmed by the requirements of being a person. This actually ties in with what you were saying before about your dad not spending enough time with your dad. Those mm. decisions were partly the middle one. What's the second one? Because the, um, the primary decision. So you got yeah. subsequential primary consequential. Yeah. yeah, it was partly a primary decision because we had to make the decision. We had to make the choice. Okay, so... He wants to go to Nepal or Switzerland or wherever on his school mm. trip. Do we say no and live with the consequences of that or do we let him go? It was literally that level of decision. You make those decisions all the time. when you're As a parent, which one is going to give the most benefit in the end? And also, which one is the path of least resistance? Can I cope with a teenager moping around for several weeks because of FOMO? <laughs> no, it's we'll funny. Yeah. Go on the trip. It, that's that's actually a good one. When we were a, a, a certain age, and I, I'm going to say a certain age because I can't remember what actual age the others were, we were given the decision of, of going overseas. And I, I absolutely, were I to be a parent, I would absolutely do this. I think it was one of the best decisions that you guys made because it taught us so much. We went overseas to wherever we wanted to see a different part of the world. My, my older brother chose a, a Europe trip. And we, we did it with dad, right? My older brother chose a Europe trip. Um, and he saw a lot of the ancient ruins that he was really, really interested in. I was expecting it <laughs> because the decision of wherever you want to go in the world, that's huge. That's, that's really, really big. But it's a primary decision. I don't have to deal with the consequences of that, you know, financially. <laughs> but it is still a massive decision, which is why I remember, you know, I've spoken to, to my brother about this. He was quite overwhelmed when the, the decision came around to him. And fairly, I think a lot of adults would be very overwhelmed by that. Even if they said, I will pay, you know, for you to go wherever you like, they'd still spend weeks agonizing over it. But I had a decision ready and waiting to go when dad asked me, which was to go to Nepal and see mountains because we live in Australia and there's no mountains here. But we, we saw a different society, the third world, and, and how they lived differently to us. And it was a, a real lesson in privilege, which I, I still am very, very grateful for to this day. It informs a lot of my decisions. It's a big part of, of, of who I am as a person. Which brings me to my last point in that the girls didn't really get to experience that. Um, they did a bit. I mean, Kira got to go and, and board halfway across the country for quite a long time. Um, she doesn't really count that, though. Um, and she, <laughs> to this day, <laughs> is very unhappy about not having had the opportunity to go overseas with Dad, like you were saying about, about moping. <laughs> 
And to be fair, let's say the reason Kira didn't get to go overseas with her dad was because she was suffering from severe concussion for five years and yes. couldn't actually do anything. She couldn't go on a plane for about two years, could she? No, she couldn't. I think she forgets that. We can blame the concussion for that, though. And then when her dad asked her about 18 months ago where she wanted to go, she said, at Chernobyl. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that discussion. She she th- thought that was wildly unfair that she wasn't allowed to go to Chernobyl. Uh-huh. Ukraine as well, Ukraine, which is yeah, I will say is it might not still be a war zone, but it was it was very it, much a war zone at the time. But, at the time, yeah, uh, which is why she wanted she specifically wanted to go to a war zone, and you guys were like, no. <laughs> Which is is a primary versus consequential decision, isn't it? She, I think, was very okay with going to war zone because it never occurred to her what might happen if there was, for instance, a car bomb. She'd be like, I'm very willing to go over there. And if I die, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, what if she went over and dad died? That's a a very, very different level of responsibility. And it's the one that you guys have to take every time we make a decision. I mean, Nepal was risky enough. They, They had a bunch of Maoist terrorists running around the mountains and we we even saw a few of them but uh, but thankfully they don't disrupt the tourism of nepal because otherwise it would just collapse uh, as a country but she's she's still very she's still very upset about that and when i point out to her that she could make the consequential decision she could say okay i have you know so much in savings this was a couple of years ago back when we all had savings but covid has since happened and things are different but anyway I have this amount in savings. I'm going to go to dad and say, I really want to go to this place. I've thought about it a lot and I really, really want to go. I'm going and I would love for you to come with me. That's a consequential decision. And I have absolutely no doubt that dad would do everything in his power to say yes to that because he absolutely loves spending time. with us. He's just really, really busy as a person. I can, <laughs> I can sympathize that's a consequential decision that's a really tough i mean a, a lot of adults struggle with consequential decisions i'm sure that we all can think of a few people that have impacted us who are incapable of making consequential decisions your youngest sister in fairness she's still quite young so we've discussed what it's like to be a mother morally and to have kids both as people and as you know, people who can't be expected to be people and how that affects you as a person. Uh, We've discussed the three levels of decision-making, which is secondary, primary, and consequential, and and how different layers of kids are are capable of making those things and how you as a parent have to fill in those gaps as they get older, less and less. And um, we talked about you as a mother, which I I, I really enjoyed. It's nice to, to have that perspective now as an adult because as a kid, I will say, viewer i was very angsty for a very long time i don't think i was quite as angsty as some of my siblings were but i was still pretty angsty and you know in fairness i did have quite a lot of testosterone running around my system for quite a long time there Um, (laughs) but um there's only so so much of an excuse that is and um, and it is really good to have perspective now as an adult and be able to chat to you about so um so thank you for, um, for talking yeah, thank to you. Did, did I answer your question about, because your original question was, how did I keep my identity as a person, as a mother? You said early on that, that you didn't think you did it very well. No, I didn't. You did go into it a little bit about how you struggled to do that and be a person because you are ancillary. You, you, you are secondary to your kids um, when you're a mother. And if you are built to be a mother, as you were saying, some people are then that comes to second nature for you. There's a whole database on different personality types that you view will, will definitely be able to go online and, and have a look at because some people are just really, really good at it. They're just naturally supportive people. Whereas, you know, we are what is commonly known as type A, you and me. <laughs> Things are a bit more complicated than that. We're also known as red personality, which is very, very passionate, very high energy, very, you know, I say controlling, but not necessarily in a bad way. We tend to take responsibility for things. Whereas, you know, the people who are mothers aren't necessarily so 
passionate about their individual needs and wants. You know, um, it, there's a difference there, which is which is really interesting that we can go into on another episode. That would we'll actually be great. Write that on your whiteboard, yeah. Ryan. Okay, hang on. Whiteboard time. Different personality types. Because I do think that the ability to handle motherhood and keep your personality intact defines the level of crisis you go through at midlife. I actually wrote down midlife crisis earlier because I have a lot of opinions on it uh, for someone who hasn't actually gone through it and I would really, really oh, like to share Oh, that's going to be interesting. Let's do that. <laughs> share your opinions, Ryan. We'll do that next time. Next time we'll share my opinions on being, being a person uh, in, in midlife crisis time because I do have, I do have opinions about it. <laughs> but, yes, but we can't do it now. That'll be a whole other hour, I think. Yeah, definitely. I have some very saucy opinions. Thank you so much. Yeah, very welcome. Thanks for uh, for chatting. That was um, fun. Goodbye, Ryan. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.